are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. Thank you, Becca. Well, Becca and our middle school team of leaders had our wildlife students here on Wednesday night and the invitation to wear costumes. And so I was here with our high school students and got to see some great costumes. We had a guitar-playing skeleton. Is that right, Alice? And we had anime girl and army man and the classic inflatable dinosaur that barely fit in the front door of the YMCA. It was a great night. And I remember lots of fun Halloween costumes from when I was growing up. And there was this one year... I don't know if this has happened at your house, but, you know, it just kind of slipped our minds. And so it was Halloween, and we're scrambling about the house trying to come up with a costume to wear. And mom to the rescue, she grabbed a spare white bedsheet from the linen closet, threw it over the top of my head, and cut out two holes for my eyes. And that was it, the world's most last-minute ghost costume, but it did the trick. And so to all our trick-or-treaters, I hope that you have a fun, safe, and successful night out there. But even more importantly than that, today is Reformation Day. And as we turn to Scripture now, we remember what a critical role actually the book of Romans played in sparking the Reformation. Martin Luther said, this epistle, he's saying this letter, is really the chief part of the New Testament. He called it the purest gospel. Every Christian should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. He said, the more we deal with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And as you taste that Halloween candy tonight, or maybe grown-ups for you, it's candy corn or those little Brock's pumpkins, whatever your favorite is on Halloween, there is something that tastes even better. And it is the sweetness of of God's Word that we pick up now together. 
As we close out October, we're entering the final chapters of Romans, chapter 15 today in our message series. And in a way, this is one of those examples where the chapter numbers kind of come at a pretty random spot. We have to remember that these chapter and verse numbers in our Bibles were not there originally, but they were added hundreds of years later as kind of a helpful way for us to find our way around. And they are usually helpful, but sometimes they come in pretty random spots. And that's exactly what we have here, because it interrupts the flow of thought from chapter 14. If you remember the context from last week, we looked in chapter 14 at what are called disputable matters. That was our theme last Sunday. And so those are things that are neither prescribed nor prohibited by Scripture, and Christians may therefore have different opinions or come to different conclusions about them. And in the original setting, Paul was addressing divisions in the church between Jewish and Gentile believers. Divisions over things like, we have to transport ourselves back in time to imagine their setting. Like what kind of meat you were allowed to eat, or the drinking of wine, or observing Jewish holidays. And Paul's even saying, you know, technically one person might be right over the other. One person who might be stronger or clearer in their faith, might actually have it right, but it is not worth insisting at the expense of my Christian brother or sister. The message Paul shared in chapter 14 last week was, accept one another in love rather than be divided over disputable matters. And that brings us to today and the continuation of this theme. And yet Paul is also going to start to pull together some of the bigger themes of the whole letter. And so that's the scope of what we're going to see today, the source and responsibility of hope in Romans 15. Let's start then with the first of our two main ideas in the passage. Everything we'll look at is going to fall under two main ideas, and here's the first. Bear with the one who's still growing in faith like Jesus did. Now remind us, we're all still growing in our faith. That never stops for any of us this side of heaven. But Paul's here talking about the strong and the weak from chapter 14. The one who's further along in spiritual growth and the one who's earlier on, like a young plant that's still getting established and setting its roots. And he says in verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He says, You and I want to be there for the good of the other person. We want to build them up in faith. And he points then to the example of Jesus as the basis for that instruction. So I'm paraphrasing some of the verses that are there. He's saying, look at Jesus, the Son of God, who bore insult after insult on his way to the cross. And if anybody ever had a case for being right and righteous, it was Jesus. And yet, did he lash out? Did he insist? No, he humbled himself on behalf of the weak. And as Paul reflects on Jesus, we find him there quoting from Psalm 69. So these quotes that pop up in this whole passage, you'll probably see them footnoted in your Bible, and then it lists them at the bottom of the page. And he quotes from Psalm 69, which then sends him off on this wonderful tangent, this little side note. It's not the central point of what Paul is saying here, but he gets thinking about the gift that we have in this book, 
in Scripture. And it's like he just can't help himself. And it sends him off sailing. In verse 4, he says, you can read along with me, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So here's the side note in this passage. Scripture leads to teaching, endurance, encouragement, and ultimately to hope. What's the source of hope? It's a big question we're going to ask today. One of the sources is Scripture. And this is something we have to remember on Reformation Day. I'm a little bit nervous to talk about history because I know we have at least a couple social studies history teachers with us. But I'm going to do my best. Martin Luther was a Catholic priest and professor. But as he observed religious life around him in the 16th century, he started to realize how off-base the church had become. I find it personally interesting and challenging to talk about these things at the Y Church, where we're a melting pot of different backgrounds. And if my rough math is right, I think about a third of us are from Catholic backgrounds here in the Y Church family, which is pretty typical for this part of the country. And it's pretty typical, actually, for this part of the state. When you think about the history of places like Elk River, Dayton, St. Michael, Albertville, strong Catholic backgrounds. So how do we talk about the Reformation recognizing the much-needed correction that it brought to the church, but doing so without ragging on our Catholic brothers and sisters? I think that we do that by just talking plainly and respectfully about it. My best friend is Catholic. Growing up, if we had a Saturday sleepover and we were at his house— I would go to Catholic Mass with him and his family. And if he was at my house on a Saturday night for a sleepover, he would come with us on Sunday morning to Trinity Lutheran, where I grew up. Years later in seminary, I had the opportunity in Los Angeles to have a whole semester elective on Roman Catholic theology with the late Dr. Robert Sosi, just in the last decade of his life. It was quite an opportunity. And one of our semester assignments was to read the entire catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. As we say in Minnesota, oofda, to that assignment. It would make this Bible look small. So here's the respectful summary. The Catholic Church in the 16th century was so far away from Scripture and had become so corrupt in its practice that something had to give. And that something came in the form of this German theology professor who could actually read the Bible in its original languages. Something that common folks would have no access to or no ability to read. And he realized that, hey, according to this, we have some serious problems on hand that need addressing. And so he wrote them down in a document. The document was called the 95 Theses. And what that was, was this list of problems that he had come up with that really need to be addressed. And so on October 31st, that's why this is Reformation Day, 1517, he nailed that document, the 95 Theses, to the Wittenberg Castle Church door. And that sounds quite dramatic, you know, you see him marching across town and hammering that up there. But keep in mind, they didn't have newspapers, printing press was 
on its way, but they didn't have a newspaper. They also certainly didn't have social media. So this was the way to post a public announcement. And in this case, Luther was posting that there would be a theological debate on these issues. And the two central issues to that document that he nailed to the door was, number one, that Scripture was the sole authority of Christian teaching, not the words of a man called the Pope. And secondly, that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. Salvation is not earned by behaving well enough or earning God's favor. And it's that first point that concerns us here today because Scripture, at the time of Luther, because nobody had access to it, it just got covered up and left behind. And Luther was the one who finally called out that the religious leaders had done this. They'd hidden it away. They'd used it to their own advantage. And he saw this discrepancy between church practice and biblical teaching. And the light bulb for Luther that came on was when he was reading, guess what book of the Bible? Romans, the one that we've been studying. And here we are 504 years later, if my math is right, and we are reading the book of Romans. And Paul, in writing it, he just cannot help himself in this passage, in the flow of thought, to point out the centrality of Scripture. And so don't miss the lesson of this verse in verse 4 that we've seen. He's saying if you read this book... It leads you to write teaching, endurance, encouragement, and hope. And if you don't read this book, you will struggle to find those things. As one writer put it, hope is generated by reading, understanding, and obeying God's word. And how does it do that? Well, it does that by showing us ample evidence of God's faithfulness. So as we look back at these stories and as we look back at the promises of God, we see that he's trustworthy to come back to Kurt's point with the kids. We see, hey, God's carried his people before. He sees me, he knows me, and he's going to carry me now so that in any life circumstance I find myself in, I can place my trust in the Lord and I can wait for him. All this to say, those who are further along in faith, Paul says, ought to bear with the failings of the weak. That was Paul's point to begin the paragraph, and now he concludes it with a blessing. We're going to see two blessings that pop up in this passage. The first is verses 5 and 6. Want to read this one out loud with me? I love these verses. Let's join in it together. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. A little bit louder, the second half. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Going all the way back to 14.1, chapter 14, verse 1. Paul has been focusing on unity. The Roman believers that he's writing to, they were split and divided by any number of things, not least of which was the Jewish-Gentile divide. And here he's saying, may God give you the same attitude toward each other that Christ Jesus had. And don't miss in this passage the purpose 
of their unity. Because sometimes we get this idea that us all getting along is the point, which it's not. Unity is never there for the sake of unity. Like we just really enjoy hugs and handshakes and warm fuzzies, as nice as they are. That's not the point. It's that we may glorify God. That's the ultimate purpose. There's lots of good reasons for unity, but its ultimate purpose is to bring glory to God. I love how one commentator put it this week. He said, only when we're united, when acting with one accord, when speaking with one voice, will we be able to glorify God in the way he deserves to be glorified. That means that you and I want to protect what we get to have here. This is something special. And we want to nurture it and contend for it. Not just in these walls, but also with other faithful churches throughout our community. That's why this past summer we had that community worship gathering that some of you attended. We were at the Sherburne County Fairgrounds. That's why we had it. Not for the sake of unity, but for the greater glory of God. And that's why here at the Y Church we're figuring out, it's a little interrupted by the pandemic, but we have been figuring out how to partner with Greater Friendship Missionary Baptist Church on 38th in Minneapolis. A church where, you know, there could be a Jewish-Gentile divide of sorts with a congregation that looks very different from ours. But the Bible says we do this so that with one mind and one voice, we may glorify God. And this extends across churches and across cities and even national boundaries. So next Sunday, when we come back for the first Sunday in November, we're going to mark the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church because we're deeply concerned with the condition of our brothers and sisters in other countries. Paul blesses the church near and far with unity so that we may most glorify God. And that brings us to the second main idea of this passage. The second and final idea from this passage is number two. Accept one another in Christ like he accepted us to bring praise to God. This is the bookend of what began back in chapter 14, verse 1. There the language is very similar. Same kinds of words in the Greek. He said, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. That was last Sunday. And now here, here's the bookend in verse 7, chapter 15. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. The purpose as before, this theme sounds familiar, is to praise God. It's to glorify Him. And this is what puts all those disputable matters, remember the word from last week, adiaphora? That's what puts them all in their place. I don't have to make this thing a hill to die on. I can let it go. I can actually defer to my brother or sister with whom I disagree. Doug Moo had a great line on this in my reading this week. He said, Division in the church over non-essentials diverts precious time and energy from its basic mission, the proclamation of the gospel and the glorifying of God. That's what we exist for. That's what Paul is saying. And then watch what he does again. He takes us to Jesus as the model, as the example for this command. And we see this whole string of verses that are quotes, and we're not going to read them again, but 
8 to 12, Paul lays this out and he's applying this to the Romans. He's saying, accept one another. And here's why. Because Jesus came for both Jews and Gentiles. He's getting right to the heart of the matter for them. And then he takes them to Scripture to show it. And he says, let me show you the biblical evidence that Jesus also came for the Gentiles, not just for Jews. And that together, we're the people of God in Christ. And that's when Paul starts listing these Bible verses. There's four of them. And they're from all the different genres of the Old Testament. He lists all these passages that come, and we don't have the time to read them, but if you look at the list, he quotes from the historical writings. That first one's from 2 Samuel. He quotes from the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Boom, 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 boom. All the way down to point to Jesus and say, from the Old Testament, the Gentiles are going to praise him. The Gentiles will rejoice in him, not just the Jews. The Gentiles will find hope in him. Now that's their situation, their application. But I want to ask us this morning how we would fill in the application. What does this mean for us? For them, it was unity between Jews and Gentiles. But for you and I, if we're supposed to accept one another in Christ and not be divided over the small stuff, then what does that look like? What would you jot down? What would you fill in? We named some examples last week, and I want to try some different ones on today. I want to address first kids and students who are with us in worship. How about one way of applying this would be getting along with your family at home? And I know that can be a tall order. I know it. I remember trying to get along with my sister growing up. I remember having to respect my parents and not always doing that very well. And now I'm the dad in my family And I know that there can be ups and downs in family life at home, and it can be tough. But home is the first place where we get to practice this. Accepting one another in order to bring praise to God. Did you know that your family has a purpose? And that's it? To bring praise to God? How about here at church? How do we practice accepting one another and bringing praise to God. How would you fill this in? One way is by not allowing secondary theological issues to divide us from each other. And again, we're talking about disputable matters, not the big stuff, not indisputable things. So if I've got a different view on baptism or communion or a different idea of worship music, Or maybe it's about politics or charismatic expressions of worship or spiritual gifts. Any number of these things. Or maybe it's just that I don't really gel with so-and-so's personality. I get to say, you know what? That is not really a problem. And I certainly don't want it to get in the way of my relationships here. The same goes for how we relate Not just here with each other, but for other churches. At the Elk River Ministerial Association, this year, in 2021, we drafted a first ever statement of faith. Elk River Ministerial Association has had a purpose statement over the years, but it's never had a doctrinal statement that binds us all together. And so, 
we took a stab at it, and it's still in the draft phase and just checking it out together and refining it. And it's got four things that knit together the churches of this community. Those four things are the Trinity, Jesus, Scripture, and mission. We worship the triune God. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Our authority is Scripture. And we are on a mission for Christ. By the way, a little fun detail. The Catholic priest here locally signed off on the statement of faith. Even added a really helpful addition. I say we've come a long way since 1517 here in Elk River. But what else would you write? How would you apply this imperative to accept your brother or sister in Christ so that we can bring greater glory to God? That's where we want to get. Paul said in verse 9 that we may glorify God for his mercy because he's poured it out on all of us. And so how is he calling you to do that? Do you have a fractured relationship? My experience in these last 18 months, two years, is that many of us have experienced fractured relationships that need mending. Or for some of us, maybe have secondary things gotten in the way of unity and praise. What is the small stuff that trips you up where God is asking you to let it go and take the long view toward mercy? With that, we come to the final verse, the second blessing of the passage. It was our kids' blessing today. It's verse 13. It's what they call in the academic writing a prayer wish. That's what this is. Because Paul is saying, here's what I'm praying for you. And he could have kept it to himself, right? You don't have to always announce your prayers. But he writes it down, puts it in a letter, and sends it to them so that by it they will be encouraged and exhorted in their faith. And he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I entitled this whole message today, The Source and Responsibility of Hope. Because as Kurt noted, the word hope just keeps popping up. You know those old popcorn makers? Maybe some of you have them at home with the actual kernels. You know, it takes a while. It warms up. And then all of a sudden, it's popping like crazy. And the further on in this passage we go, hope, hope, hope just keeps popping up more and more. Not in the sense of wishful thinking, like Kurt pointed out, but that I have confidence in the promises of God. I'm trusting Him. I'm walking with Him. Paul says there is a source of hope to be found in this world, and it is only coming from God. Human beings cannot produce hope. We can't manufacture it. We can't grow it. We can't will it. It is a gift from God. Only He has the power to bring us hope. And look at what hope comes along with. It's escorted by two things. It's got a couple associates. And they're joy and peace. And He does this. He gives this to us as we trust in Him. You see, all these threads come together. And as we trust in him means that this is conditional. Joy and peace, hope, they're conditional, not on good deeds, but on learning to trust in him. Right now in this season of life, 
And when that happens, look at the outcome. Look at the result in the second half of the verse. So you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the source of hope? Earlier it was Scripture. Here it's the Holy Spirit. Both of them come from God. The source of hope is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know as we close this morning that this, this is possible for you. This is not some lofty, spiritually sounding dream. But right now in your life, especially for those of us who maybe have felt very little hope in this season of life. There are some of us perhaps where there is very little joy or peace in our daily life. The days are hard. Your list of worries is long and legitimate, by the way. But God is ready to take that on for you and to replace it with something so much better. It's called hope. The assurance that he's got you, that he is taking care of you, and that he will lead you through this life all the way home. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, as the sun pours in the windows today, we pray, Lord, that you would warm our hearts with the gift of hope that you have to give us. Lord, our anxieties, our worries, the hopelessness maybe that just looms over us, I pray, Lord, that you would take these things, that we would cast them upon you and that you would lift burdens from weary shoulders this morning. Lord, as we start a new month tomorrow, I pray that you will gift us with deeper measures of hope. And Lord, in all this, would you unite us together in your love for the glory of your name. That's our desire. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.